You have no rival. You have no equal. There is none that measures to Jesus Christ. There is no other name under heaven. No other God under heaven. I don't care what they said about idols of false gods. There is no other name under heaven that has ever rose from the grave but Jesus. If you have your Bible, if you would please take your Bible. We here at New Hope have a Bible decree that we kick off our service with. And I'm grateful that we still have the Word of God that we're able to to use. So if you have your iPad, your iPhone, or your Bibles, um, whatever you have, let's hold it high and declare that we believe what it has to say. This is my Bible, God's Holy Word. I will make it a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I will hide God's words in my heart that I might not sin against God. Hallelujah. How many of you do not want to sin against God? I know I don't want to sin against God, and I don't believe that anybody wants to sin against God. We are in a time much like the days of Nineveh, much like the days where people have turned their hearts away from God. We must be careful, church, because I believe that Satan is on the rampage. He is seeking out whom he may devour. We know what Peter has to say. He is like a roaring lion. He is there to devour the first one that becomes weak. And in these trying and difficult times that we're in, that we're distorted somewhat by the views of what we have watched, what we have seen, and the things that we have heard. But I want you to know it doesn't matter. What matters more importantly is that we always take a detour right back to the Word of God. It doesn't matter what I have to say. You don't care what I have to say. You don't even want my opinion because it doesn't matter. What matters is what God has to say, what His Son Jesus has to say, what the prophets of old have to say, what Paul wrote to the church of Corinthians, to the church of Acts, to the church of Ephesus, what Timothy had to say as he was preaching and laboring on this earth. We all have a message. Do you believe that? We all have something that we have to share. Just because we've been sheltered in place does not mean that we don't have a voice. Jesus Christ needs to be uttered and shouted from the mountaintops, from the valleys, in your city, outside of your city, in the urban areas, from the turban areas. It doesn't matter. Jesus Christ's name needs to be lifted high. We have left Jesus. Because of our pride. It is messed up and distorted who we are. Well, Pastor, where are you going with today's message? We will find it in the text in Jonah. So if you will please take your Bible and turn with me to Jonah. Jonah chapter 1. And again, we are so blessed to have you with us. Thank you for being with us today. We are um, just overjoyed. And, and last week, if you heard the message on fear, one of my, my fears were, how's it going to look now? Some of my pastor friends have called me and said, hey, Todd, what is it going to look like in the church? Who's going to come? Who isn't going to come? Who is afraid to come because of the coronavirus? 
And I hope that you walked away last week encouraged by God's Word to know that there is power, wonder-working power in the name of Jesus. He says you no longer have to fear. You no longer have to carry that anxiety. You no longer have to worry about it because you are His child if you know Him as Lord and Savior. Running from God. Running from God. You know, it was funny this morning as I was uh, sheltered in place in my living room out at the camper. Uh, my wife and I spent the night out there. And uh, I want to say thank you to everybody that prayed. I sold my motor home. So praise the Lord, it's gone. I can't have two. And uh, that was enough stress to, to put anybody in the grave. And uh, But, you know, it, it was fun while it lasted. So we, we had the great experience of... Uh, Never sleeping the night in it. So um, my wife's happy about that. And, uh, <laughs> but now we have a, a little park model that we go and sit. And, and while I was sheltered in place this morning, I started to think about the life of Jonah. And I started thinking about Nineveh. And as I was just sitting there, it really hit me hard. Like, just think about this. He was a prisoner. Jonah was a prisoner. He may have put himself there, but he was a prisoner in the belly of that whale. Now, Pastor, we, we understand. I mean, we've heard so many stories of Jonah. It's the same old story. We understand that, you know, he had a mission and he rebelled against that mission. And so God caused a storm to come and threw him, and that whale came and threw him into the seas and he ate him right up. But I believe that there's more to it that can become more applicable to all of us in our daily life. Especially right now where we are at here in the trying times in America and around the world. I believe that many of us, I don't know about how you have felt, but uh, having a stay-at-home order makes you feel somewhat imprisoned. And as I started out, some of, some of us pastors were worried about who is going to come back, who's going to be here, what's going to happen. Uh, there's anxiety that has sat in and, and fear that has, that has encompassed so many people and anxiety. But I too know this shall pass. And in the midst of this imprisonment, in the midst of being sheltered in place and some of the, the, the difficulties... I want you to know that our God is among us and that he's with us and that he's working all things out for his good. And so as we read here in Jonah chapter 1, I just want you to see what God did for him. And last week when I was preaching and God said, uh, you know, he brought up Nineveh and I said, well, I'll go ahead and preach it next week. I think I'm going to make a little short series on this. I'm pulling some notes from over 10 years ago. You have them in your Bible? Good. Praise the Lord. We'd like to applaud you for being here with us all those years. Thank you. And, uh, <laughs> and so I could tell by the way Leslie was grinning at me like, I think I've heard this. And I'm, I'm thinking, okay, this is, this is going to be interesting. Here's what it says in Jonah chapter 1. I'll be referencing two different types of scripture. Uh, the New Living Translation as well as the King James Version. And uh, because I, I love the KJV and I'm comfortable with the King James Version, but I'm just going to read this narrative out of the New Living Translation. Here Jonah runs from the Lord and he says this, The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of an Am Amittite. 
Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went into the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board hoping to escape from the Lord by selling to Tarshish. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo aboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold, so the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this, he shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord. Notice that. Large L. The God, large G, anytime in Scripture, if you see a small g, it's referencing God's false idols. God of heaven who made the sea and the land. The sailors were terrified when they had heard this, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it? They groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to you to stop this storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Instead, the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to the land. But the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. Then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. Oh, Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sins, and don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh, Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reason. Then the sailors picked up Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. And in verse 17, and we conclude with chapter 1, Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Three days and three nights. Here was another message I had preached in regard to Jesus went into the tomb. Three days. Interesting, huh? But we won't get on that today. We noted how Jonah shunted God's will by heading for Tarshish when God wanted him to go to Nineveh. From that moment, Jonah started a sad downward course as he tried to run from God. Had Jonah obeyed unquestionably, He would have been spared many bitter experiences and he would have been blessed abundantly. Jonah quit the ministry. He is a deserter. He went AWOL for some of you soldiers in the room. Even today when someone decides to quit the church or give up the faith, their life will take a downward course. Trouble will be just over the horizon. For Jonah, it happened just like that so quick. But we noticed in Jonah chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, but it says this, But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. 
Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man into his God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship and he lay and was fast asleep. Now, can you go ahead and turn that off? Thank you. The wind is actually going right through my mic. Can you hear that? It was like, whew, I felt like I was out at sea. So I wanted to calm this storm right now. Look in verse 3. Look closely at verse 3. I love, well, watch this. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish. Now I want you to take in your Bible from, circle it. Then I want you to underline from the presence of the Lord. And in verse 3 it says, and he went down, circle that, to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down, circle that again, into it, to go with him unto Tarshish. Now watch this. Circle the from, underline it, highlight it, do whatever you want, and it concludes there, from the presence of the... Let's do this again. He went from the presence of the... Lord. Watch what happens when we backslide. You go down, you go away, you're going away from, there's a distance between you and your relationship with your Savior. So what was happening here with Jonah, God started to speak the word of the Lord, as it says here, came unto Jonah. The great prophet, now we realize that he was only referenced one other time in the Old Testament. You see, Jonah was much like, the book of Jonah was much like the book of Acts in the New Testament as Jonah was in the Old Testament. Many souls were saved because of Jonah's conversion, because of what he did. I, I know for many we see the, the beautiful garden and we see the white fields and we see the flowers that are in that field and we see that visual. And many of us, that have ever walked with the Lord, we realize that our journey following Christ and living in Him isn't the beautiful white flowers in the field. It's because God is always taking you on a journey that you've never been on before. Little did we realize that when we got saved, what God was about to do in us and through us. He wants to use you. And so I stand up here today saying, I don't care what your background is. Use it for God's glory and not for your own. God wants to use you. He he looks at you as valuable to Him. But you understand, preacher, my reference of influence is so small. Then preach to your husband. Preach to your wife. Preach to your kids. Speak the words into your dog or your hamsters or guinea pigs or your farm animals. Whatever it might be, just speak it. But yet with Jonah, he became comfortable in his little sphere of influence. Who wants to stand up against the majority? Our world is in a sad place. The bigger the crowd the more power it gives them. But the Bible said God gives grace to the humble and He resists the proud. All of the looting, all of the stealing and the rioting, say what you need to say privately 
or quietly. Let me rephrase that. But do you understand that there were people in this country that have worked for 25 years in a business to build that business to have somebody come in and think they have a sense of entitlement? So we as Christians have got to stand up. We've got to bow our knee, go to our prayer closets and pray for this country and this nation because we are right in the midst of Nineveh. We're in a place where people have turned their hearts away from God. And the church is the only ones that will rise up against such chaos. So my heart is saddened. But if we're not careful, we'll notice here in verses 4 and 5 that a tremendous storm will come. God set a great wind on the sea. Ships never sailed in the season when the infamous Maltemi winds from the north made sailing dangerously impossible. You see, what people don't understand, this was the season of smooth sailing. And every time I say that, it reminds me of the old song. Smooth sailing. Am I the only one that remembers that old country song? Well, okay. Well, that's because I turned 50 now, and I, I don't know. But every time I say that, it was a season of smooth sailing. I love what Jesus does. I love what God does. So here we are in the Old Testament. God starts to do a work right then. And he has to grab our attention. Hmm. Amazing, isn't it? God has gotten the attention of so many people through what this country has gone through and what the world has gone through. And I will be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I will stand up against the fiery darts of the enemy. And church, we have to as Christians. We've experienced smooth sailing. We've experienced some real great benefits and some victories in this country. But this is Nineveh. And we as a church have a story to tell. And if we don't sing, Oh, Glorious Day and Echo, if we don't say, sing songs like, What a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus, the world will never hear and will never know our Savior Jesus Christ. You see, this savage wind was supernatural. It would take a super storm to make seasoned sailors begin to send significant cargo seaward. These pagan seamen seized their sharp scabbards and scurry forth to save their sinking ship. Each send their own SOS to their gods. We need your help. You see, God sometimes sends trouble when we stray from His will. Our God is too merciful and too loving to let His children drift off into an open rebellion without trying to save them. God uses special circumstances to try to salvage his backslidden people. And in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, it says, The Lord disciplines those that he loves. Here's how this works. Perhaps you've been lax in your Christian life. You know you are losing your hold on God. God realizes this also. Then one day something unusual takes place. Maybe you suddenly get a a serious sickness or perhaps you experience a major setback in your life. It could be that God is trying to wake you up by not preventing certain bad things from happening to you. But see, here's what it says in Psalms. David experienced God. It said, God sent trouble. And here's what David had to say. 
Before I was afflicted, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I have kept Thy Word. Now I have obeyed Your Word. You see, God doesn't do it to get even with us. Psalms 103.3 says He does not treat us as our sin deserves. If He did, we would be chastened, or I'm sorry, chastised every moment of every day. Perhaps you may be wondering why storms are raging around you so often. The storms of life could be a wake-up call from God for something in our life that is not His will. I'm glad God doesn't easily give us over to sin. And He probably could if He did not love us so much. You see, God has a crush on us. God cares for us, really. God is love. And God was trying to save Jonah. He loves you too. And He wants the best for you. He wants the best for your life. The question this morning is, will you surrender to it? Will you surrender to His will? Let us pray. God, I pray that You'll bless the next few minutes. Lord, I know we're in Your Word. and Wow, what a, what a profound story. A story of listening to Your voice. God, I don't want to just be a religion. I want us to all have a relationship with you. So God, I pray that you'll hide me behind the cross today. Let your words be heard. And Lord, pierce our hearts and our minds. Transform us. In your holy name we pray. Amen. So Jonah is sound asleep. We see that in verse 5. He was in a deep sleep, slumbering in a crisis hour at ease while the ship is sinking. When men or women leave God, this usually happens. It takes something powerful to wake us up when we are in a deep, deep, supernatural, spiritual sleep. Jonah was sleeping during the time of trouble. Do you know why he could sleep so sound? Because he had a false sense of security. That's why he did find this ship. It must be God's will. So he sleeps on. Jonah was the only human being on board who knew the true God. He was the only one who could lay hold of God for true help. And here he was, dead to the world, sound asleep, laid out, enjoying the ride, kicked back with his arms underneath his head and his legs crossed, snoring for all the world to hear. He slept. You know, it, it's hard to comprehend how he could sleep while the storm was raging. It shows how insensitive we can get. Sin quickly hardens the heart. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 19, it describes such. They have lost all sensitivity. They have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. The Blanco paraphrase says they have become calloused. How many of you know what a callous is? So I'll never forget the first time that my wife says to me, I want to do something with you. And I go, what is that? She goes, I don't want to go by myself, but I want you to go get a pedicure. And I said, go get a pedicure. If people see me getting a pedicure, they're going to think things of me. And I, it's just weird to me. Number one, I can't sit in a chair like that. I, I'm just hyper, and I know some of you didn't know that, but I'm hyper, 
And to sit there that long is torture. And number two, here's a big secret of mine. Please never tie me down and grab a hold of my feet because they are like baby's skin. And I will laugh and lose all control of my life and bodily functions. Did I just say that in the pulpit? It's not good. But then here's the other creepy part. If you all know what a callus is, they get out the lettuce grater. What is with that? The cheese grater, the lettuce grater. And then I'm sitting there and I see Aunt Martha and Grandma Gertrude and all their feet and their toes were curled over like this. And I knew why we were there. And then I saw calluses that looked like the head of lettuce and cabbage. And then she says, Honey, do you want me to take this to your foot? I'm down there looking at them going, if they do this to my feet, I'm going to laugh hysterical. They're not going to hurt me. And then I'm like, you could actually have a symphony in the, in the salon. Because everybody has different levels of calluses. And some were like this. And I was like this. Ah, stop it! Stop it! Becky's dying. The ladies, they're all going. And they're dying laughing. And... So, after the first experience of being crazy over calluses, I finally went back time after time after time. And so I say, can I please have Kim? And so I get her every single time. Kim or Tina. But I said, uh, you know, it's because she knows that I have to brace myself. I get in my stance so that I don't get off of that chair, falling on the floor laughing, And then on top of it, I get kind of grossed out, so I have to close my eyes because I can't look to those people down this way or these people over here. And and Becky will say to me, honey, I'm going to get my nails done if you want to get a pedicure. So I'm like, okay, I'll get a pedicure. But why do I torture myself? Exactly. And if the end result is great, I feel like I'm like a king or something there. I don't know. But here's, here's what a callus is. Callus is just skin that has lost its sensitivity. If you lose your calluses, you will have tender feet or tender hands. Sin makes us spiritually insensitive. Our hearts are hardened. And then we become so calloused that we do not respond to God in a way that we should. Do you remember the pain you felt the first time you did something that plagued your conscience? Maybe a lie you told as a child. Or perhaps later an act of thievery or immorality. You knew you should not have done it. Do you remember the struggle that you had? You finally fell. Can you recall the pain that came over you afterwards? The shame. Just the guilt. The dirty, unclean feeling that overcomes you when you take out that double Oreo delicious cookie out of that cookie jar when mom says, wait till after dinner. I remembered that feeling. I know that sounds good. <laughs> Many of you have stopped and realized right there that feeling of, I don't want that ever again. I don't like the feeling of guilt. 
I don't like the feeling of shame. I don't want to feel dirty. And if you may have repeated the sin over and over, finally you started a life of insensitivity. Every time God tries to help us and we insist on continuing our trip to Tarshish, our spiritual sensitivity weakens. The callus just gets thicker and thicker and thicker. Our sleep gets deeper and sensitive to the killer storm, unaware that our very life is on the line. I want to ask you, are you sleeping while the world rushes on to its destruction? Are we sleeping while the world rushes on to its destruction? When Jonah should have been praying, he was sleeping. Look in verse 6. It says here, So the shipmaster, so the captain, came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Rise, call upon thy God. If so be that that God will think upon us that we perish not. So the skipper, reminds me of Gilead, oh, listen to a tale. So he goes and finds him. It shook him awake. And here's what he said. How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. When the waves of death were beating against his ship, even the captain suddenly believed in prayer. Too many are using prayer much like they would use 911 or a fire extinguisher. In case a fire breaks a glass, too many are foul-weather Christians. When the sun comes out, we go out. Do you hear what I'm saying? When the sun comes out, we go out. The storm is raging. Storms expose character. And you can't hide for a while, but eventually people will know about you. Because in Numbers 32, it says, be sure that your sin will find you out. And it is a sad day when one of God's people have to be exposed before an unbelieving world. Every time a Christian falls... It hurts the cause of Jesus. Every time a Christian falls, it hurts the cause of Jesus. We do untold harm to Jesus when we claim to be Christians and do not live like it. Do you hear what I'm saying? It, we do untold harm when we claim to be Christians and do not live like it. In Jonah chapter 1, verses 8 through 10, it says here that they threw the dice, that they cast lots, and suddenly, here's what they said, they, they unto him, tell us, we pray thee, for who caused this evil upon us? What is your occupation, and where did you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said unto them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord in verse 9. Now, ready for this? He made it intimate. He said, I fear Yahweh. He said, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which has made the sea and dry land. And then in verse 10 it says, Then were the men exceedingly afraid and said unto him, what, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Jonah had lost his testimony. It is a sorry day when a prophet of God has to be asked, what is your occupation? If someone has to be around us for a period of time and they have to ask us if we are Christians, then we have lost Jesus. No, I don't fly into my companies or 
you know, soar in and rip open my shirt and say, dun dun dun, dun super Christian. I don't, I don't do that. We shouldn't do that. I want people to say to me, do you know Jesus? Are you a Christian? And then I really wonder what I've done when they've said to me, are you a pastor? Then I look at them and raise that one eye, however that is raised. Because I think we've all been in that place. And if we haven't, we need to be. And that's what happened with Jonah. So he's in the bottom of this boat, lost his way, and they come to him and they ask all these questions. And maybe some of you can relate. How can you sleep in the midst of this storm? Who is responsible? What do you do? Where do you come from? Why are you not praying? And right then, we have to kind of compare this correlation that he was on trial for being a Christian and there was no evidence Jonah had concealed his identity. But you see, that didn't work very long. You can run, but you cannot hide. You can run, but you cannot hide forever. Do the people that you work with know that you are a Christian? Do the things that you say, do they know that you are a child of the Most High God? Jonah could have made some excuses. But Jonah made a statement about himself. He said, I worship the Lord. But you see, he didn't. And if he did, he would have been en route to where? Nineveh. Jonah was deceived about his Christian experience. His practice did not match his profession. He used to be a follower of God, but that was now in the past. Our walk with Jesus must be fresh and new every day. Christianity is like the manna that used to fall from heaven. It did not keep very long. It had to be constantly, continually renewed. Paul said, I die daily. So through this pandemic, church, have you died? Have you looked at your life? Have you said, you know what, I'm sick and tired of the chaos and I'm just bending the knee to it? Or have you said, no, today I'm going to rise up, I'm going to be the banner for the most high God. You see, I'm transformed in Him. So in verse 11, it says this, Then said they unto Him, What shall we do unto you, that the sea may be calm for us, unto us? For you see, the angry, uh, the sea was angry. And it was rot, is what it says. For it was tempestuous. It was angry. And they sensed the presence at that moment. Now watch here. I want to just pause and say praise God for that story. It was a sign that God was not through with Jonah yet. If you are running away from God, you will be similar to Jonah. Your trip will be an unhappy one. God will follow you. He will pursue you. A loving God will chase you like the hound of heaven. God will find you clear down in the bottom of life, in the pits where you think that you're hiding. Well, you are not. 
because he loves you. Jonah was discouraged and perhaps he thought, I failed. God could never use me again. Just let me die to this storm. Just let me give up my life. But often storms are an indication that God is not through with us yet. So listen closely. The storm obeyed God. In fact, if you think about it, everything in the whole book of Jonah obeys God's will except for one person. Jonah. The waves obeyed his will. The dice obeyed. The storm obeyed. Even those sailors obeyed. The fish obeyed. The sinners in Nineveh obeyed. The gourd obeyed. The worm obeyed. Of all God's creation, professed Christians seem to have the roughest time following God's will. Woo. Can I get an amen? Can I get an amen? So, so let me read that to you again. Of all of God's creation, professed Christians seem to have the roughest time following God's will. I love this because we deliberate. Are you talking to me, God? You know I've never done anything like that. You can't be calling me to do that. That's rough. Go to a place where people will throw bottles at me. Stand up against a lot of people. God. So I, I guess the best thing for me to do is to go to the bottom of that boat, that ship, and go to sleep. Well, all of, we, we, we start to watch this play out. And it's exactly what I said. Before long, you have to take that cheese grater out and get off that callus on your body because you're so insensitive to God's will. <laughs> really? We become insensitive and callous to what God is trying to do to us. Just one more. One dollar more. I love that. I, I, I love that little video. If you've never seen that, it's just great about a lady going into it. She's a comedian, and she goes in to get uh, her nails done. So I just did that, and it kind of took me right there, right then. And so my ADD kicked in, and I just had to do it. I have to do that sometimes. Here's what we're going to do before we close out today's message. Purpose of the storms of life. Every storm provides an opportunity for growth. Jonah grew stronger because of his experience. You see, storms also come to test us. Storms come to test us. There's a difference between testing and trials. Testing comes from God to cause the Christian to stand. Testing comes from God to cause the Christian to stand. Trials come from Satan to cause the Christian to stumble. In verse 11, he asks the question. They ask him, what should we do to save our lives? Jonah had endangered the very lives of others by being out of God's will. The storm was his fault. We're coming upon Father's Day. Now, men, think about this, and I'll use this as a correlation, but I think it it can apply to some of you women that are in the room as well. 
and even children. But men, think about your life. If you're not following God's will, what legacy are you leaving for your children or your wife or ladies for your husband or your loved ones? Like father, like son, your spiritual apathy endangers the life of your whole family. If you go fishing on the Sabbath and later tell your son he can't skip church to be with his friends, your example is jeopardizing his spiritual future. So at least Jonah could say in verse 12, this storm is my fault. He said, take me up, cast me forth, throw me overboard. It's all my fault. That was the only prophecy. I don't know if you know this. The only prophecy of Jonah that ever came true. This hurricane will stop the instant you throw me overboard. I will die, but you will be saved. You see, running from God is strange. Jonah would rather die than do the will of God. And at this point, was Jonah the worst minister in the world? Yet, look at all his converts. All the sailors were saved because of it. And as I, clo- as I conclude this message this morning, and I give you our final thought, in verses 13 through 16, I know we've already read it, but let me just emphasize it one more time before we, we close down the services today. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to the land, that they could not, for the sea rod and was tempestuous against them. Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not upon us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from a raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. And the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. They tried hard to row to shore, but they could not. Salvation is not by effort alone. Our best effort is like filthy rags. It is a happy day when we finally realize that our best will not cut it. Andrew Murray once said, The Christian life is not difficult. It is impossible. We cannot live it. Our only hope is in Christ in us. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. Salvation does not come by trying, but by dying. Salvation does not come by trying, but by dying. Jesus' death fully pays for a life of sin. And you see, their best efforts could not get them back to land. You need to let this sink deep into your mind. We may row as hard as we can, but it will never be enough. You can throw all your cargo overboard, but it will not stop this storm to save you. Salvation comes from above. Rowing and throwing will never save us. You see, we can't row our way into heaven. For salvation to come, Jonah had to be sacrificed. The sailors believed in the great doctrine of substitution. We are saved because of the death of Jesus, our substitute. Jonah here becomes a symbol of Jesus. Both spent three days and three nights buried in a tomb, thereby saving others. 
What a picture we see in Jonah of Jesus. He died to save others. Jesus was cast into the sea of sin to die and rise again for our redemption. The noble ship of humanity was battered by waves of judgment. Only Jesus still can still the great storms of life. Why? Because Jesus paid it all and all to him I owe. There's only one way to be saved. Surrender your all to Jesus. Give your all to Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says, By his wounds you have been healed. Accept Jesus Christ as your substitute. See, salvation is not by rowing or throwing, but by Jesus Christ. Friend, this morning, if you are in the same boat as Jonah, if you have been running from God, why not come home today? Come to Jesus. He lived the life we can't live. He died the death we don't want to die. Accept Jesus as your substitute just now. And then you can avoid a whale of trouble and misery. There was once a father and son and they were traveling down the road. And the little boy just would not stay in that seatbelt. And so his father said, Son, sit in that seatbelt. Buckle yourself up. Get back in that seat. So that little boy in his tempestuous, I like that in the King James Version, tempestuous anger in his, he sat down, he took that seat belt, he buckled that thing in, he was madder in a yellow jacket. He wanted to stand and he was screaming things like, I can't see daddy. And he said, son, I'm not going to tell you again, stay seated. And even though that little boy was buckled up. He was seated. He said, Daddy? He said, Yes, son. He said, I may be seated, but I'm standing up on the inside. You see, that's much like Jonah. We're stubborn. And we do things our way. And if we never get the opportunity to ever meet again in this sanctuary. And if the Lord raptures us home, or whatever happens, I hope you will be kneeling and seated and surrendered to the will of Almighty God. We don't need a church of proud people. We need a church of humble people. Today I ask you, when was the last time you prayed for our country, Nineveh? And in the weeks ahead, I'll be talking about, we know that today he was running from God. But then we're going to see Jonah run to God. When was the last time you ran to God? When was the last time you cried out to God? Put Put your views, your your opinion, everything aside so that people could see who you are. Are you surrendered? Do you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Today, 
stop your rowing and throwing and just dive in. Give Him your all. Give Him your heart. And give Him your life. Let's all stand as we pray. Father, we love You and we thank You that today we can come before You with our hearts bowed and our hearts open and receptive to Your will. God, as we have this time of reflection, I just ask that for many in the room that have been running from You, God, they don't have to run any longer. Because I know for myself, God, I could have kept running. But I'm thankful that I'm on the winning side. And Lord, I know You're with me, for me, as we fight this good fight of the faith. So God, we thank You for those that are here today. Lord, prick their hearts. Help us to all be changed as we walk out of this building today. Help us to stop rowing and throwing and and trying to to think that what we do is good enough. And finally realize that it's true surrender, giving our heart and our life over to you. So Father, help us to stop running from you, but run to you. God, we love you. We thank you for the story of Jonah. We thank you for the cycle of life. God, I pray for this dear country of ours. I pray for this world. God, bring peace. Let them know that we are one nation under God. Let us not just pass over biblical posts, but let us acknowledge your word that we can hide it in our hearts so that we can be free. So God, today, if there's somebody that needs you as Lord and Savior, may they confess you today. May they come to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. God, lift us. Help us. Bring us hope. Bring this country hope. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.